Hello, and welcome to the Pursuit City Church podcast. Our mission is to lead people to know the love of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that you will feel encouraged as well as challenged through the Word of God. If you need prayer or want to share your story, please send an email to info at PursuitCC.com. Get ready to enjoy this message. God bless. This is going to be a short series. It's only two weeks long. And then come May, we're going to start something brand new that I'm really excited about. Um, I won't share yet, but we'll get there. We'll get there. I got to hold my, my uh, excitement together. Amen. So I'm just going to start off with the definition of doxology. Then I'm going to read a scripture and then I'm going to pray. Okay. So we're going to start off with the definition. The word doxology comes from the Greek word doxa. I'm going to get real intellectual with you for a good 10 minutes, and then you're going to see the point. All right? So stick with me. It comes from the Greek word doxa, which means glory or splendor. And the other part of the word is logos, which means word or speaking. So in short, doxology is glory speak. And this is a beautiful thing. Because when we study the scriptures, what we see over and over and over again, from the beginning of the book all the way to the end of the book, is this idea of giving God the glory he deserves. Amen? And our speech should be in such a way that it gives God the glory he deserves. When you talk, when you speak, when you talk about him, when you talk to people in general, it should be in such a way that it gives God glory. Long ago, you've probably heard it, that if you don't have something nice to say, don't say it at all, right? Because typically, we speak from a place of anger or emotion or or frustration, and all of those things don't give glory to God. If you want to be able to speak in a way that gives glory to God, you have to know his word. And this is so vitally important. And like Jasmine said, it's not a lost art. It's something that should be on our mouth all the time. The scripture should be our first response, not our last resort. And so many times people use scripture as their last result. Well, Pastor, what what does the Bible say about this situation? Why are you asking me? It's your situation. You should be hungry enough to know what God says about your life. You should desire his word in your life in a way that it should speak into every area of your life. That's called glory speak. That's called doxology. So if you want an example of what a doxology looks like, we'll see it all through scripture. I'll give you one. Ephesians 3.20, it says this. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all we can ask or think, according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. 
Amen. You see this pattern over and over in Scripture Well, where a, a, a prophet, a writer, an author will stop and just begin to give glory to God. That is doxology. This should be a practice in our life. My desire, my hope is that after this week and next week, you begin to incorporate that in your life where you stop for a minute and you just give God glory. Good day, bad day, doesn't matter. The happiest book in the New Testament, in the Bible, every possible scripture about joy and faith and passion and love and, and seeking good things. And Paul wrote it in prison. Your situation should not determine your language. Your situation should not determine how you speak about your life. Your situation should all the more learn to give God his glory. Amen. We have to learn that we need to pause and stop and give God his praise in every area of our lives. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word for the truth that it brings, for the encouragement that it brings. Lord, I pray for transformation this morning. I pray that our hearts and our minds are open to receive from you. And most of all, Lord, I pray that we hear from you and not from me. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. There is a famous scripture that we all know. It's a doxology. And it's from Jesus. In Matthew 6, verse 5, it says, When you pray, you shall not be like the hypocrites. Somebody say hypocrites. Don't look at your neighbor. Don't look at your wife. Don't look at your husband. You shall not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corner of the streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you... When you pray, go into your room, and when you have shut your door, pray to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Therefore, do not be like them, for your Father knows the things you have need of before you ask. Let's pause right there. There's so much that Jesus says here. Understand that the time that he's living in, the, the space that they're living in, they're living in a very religious, um, controlling system in the Jewish culture. And so the Sadducees, the Pharisees, they're, they're constantly pushing their new laws and new ways of doing things and their new agendas. You know, God gave the children of Israel, Ten Commandments. And because of the constant disobedience, he had to give them more rules. And because they couldn't follow those, they, they asked for more rules, so he gave them more rules. And then men turned those rules into 500 more rules, which is what the Sadducees and Pharisees would follow. And they would hold people accountable to the Ten Commandments plus 500. Can you believe that? Can you imagine trying to live in that sort of system? Well, if you've been around religion long enough, there is a lot of systems like that. 
There are a lot of systems. Man imposes their own views and own principles, and they get away from the scripture, and they start saying, oh, we have a better idea. It didn't work for Israel. It won't work for you. There's only one thing you need. That's Jesus, and that's it. His love is enough. And so Jesus is standing here and he's like, don't be like them. They're hypocrites. Because what the religious people would do is they would wake up every morning, not pray at home, but made sure they prayed in the streets for everyone to see them. They would wear certain garments to show that they were fasting. How many of you are fasting right now in some way, shape, or form? Got a few. Yes, today's the last day. Praise the Lord. I'm going to eat tomorrow. I'm just telling you that. I'm going to eat tomorrow. But what they would do is they would dress in certain clothing that said they were fasting. They would put ashes on their head to say they were fasting. They would walk around and mope and weep and mourn like this so that people would get, get noticed that they were fasting. They wanted the attention that they were being spiritual, which made them a hypocrite. Being a hypocrite isn't saying one thing and then failing and doing the wrong thing. That's called being human. Being a hypocrite is trying to get attention and glory for being spiritual. We should not be gaining glory for anything. The church is not a place to celebrate a person other than Christ. It's not a place to celebrate a pastor or any other person that has a gift. We're here to celebrate Jesus. And if you try to do this by getting glory from it, you've completely missed the point and you've turned into these people. The very people that Jesus said, don't be like them. I was watching something. I don't know if you know who Jake Hamilton is. Who knows who Jake Hamilton is? Love Jake Hamilton for the longest time. Great worship leader. And I was, I was really shocked to hear him say a couple of things. I was like, wow, I didn't realize that's where he was coming from. He was given an interview and they were asking him questions and Jake Hamilton's kind of have a, a big name in the worship community all over the world. He's done so much and he got really tired of it. He got extremely exhausted from the whole famous worship leader title. And they were asking him, you know, what he thinks about today's version of Christian music and everything that's going on. And he's like, oh, I hate it. <laughs> he's like, none of it impresses me. He goes, you know what impresses me? The people who serve in church on Sunday morning and no one will ever know their name. And this is true. Because there's so many people who are famous for doing what should be giving glory to God and they're receiving their own measure of glory. And he talked about Kim Walker because there's that moment that Kim Walker kind of blew up when she was singing that song, that famous song, He Loves Us, right? We all know that song. She really is the one that made it popular. And it's not even the song that got her the attention. It was when in the middle of the worship time, she stopped and she started just breaking down before the Lord and sharing her heart. That's what got her all of the attention. And he said, it was the most amazing moment, and she was completely embarrassed by it, but that's what got her all the attention. And moving forward, everyone tried to make that the attraction instead of him the attraction. And so it ended up being this commercialized 
way of doing worship and everyone's filming everything to get views and likes and, and to book more tours and to do all this stuff. And he says, you can keep all of that. He goes, I know Kim. She hated it. She just wanted Jesus. And they turned it into a way to get attention. Man is always looking for a way to create their own glory. Even in the midst of a time where we're supposed to be giving him glory. In fact, the greatest temptation for Christian ministry is to receive something that's supposed to be directed to him. None of us should ever be looked at like we're special or powerful. We are no different from the person sitting next to you. We are here to give him all the glory and all the power and all the attention. None of it should come to us. None of it should go to you. None of it should go to the person you grew up listening to or the person on TV, despite what they might tell you. They don't deserve it. None of us deserve the glory that is due to God. And then he says, surely I say to you, they have their reward. You know what he was saying? People like that who seek the attention and the glory for themselves will never see the glory of God because they have their reward already. See, the reward is supposed to be heaven. The reward is supposed to be the crown that you get when you step into the threshold of heaven. He's saying they will not get that because they sought the glory for themselves and they're getting all that they can handle. It's a pretty ish, tough phrase. He says, but when you pray, you pray, you go into your room and when you have shut the door, pray to your father who is in the secret place. You got to remember God is right next to you, but he's right next to you in secret. Chew on that for a little bit. He's right next to you, but he wants to be searched out. He's right next to you. He's waiting. But he wants you to run after him too. And what's beautiful is he's always running after you as well. It's this dynamic that we're going to see in the scripture in a little bit where there's always this convergence of God is trying to pull you in, but he's also trying to get you to take some steps. He's also trying to get you to make some moves to grow closer to him. Then the famous phrase or, or scriptures that we all know is the section of the doxology. It says, in this manner, verse nine, therefore pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and do not lead us into temptation but deliver us from the evil one for yours, everybody say yours, is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. You see, Jesus was standing there in front of all of them, and he's pointing to heaven. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. And all of those men who were trying to get their own glory and then build their own kingdoms and get all the power were listening to Jesus and watching him point to the sky and say, yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. 
This is the most famous doxology where Christ is standing and giving glory to his father, not taking any glory for himself yet, not revealing in full who he was. He's trying to teach people how to give glory to the father. And he starts off at your kingdom come, your will be done. In other words, this doesn't belong to us. And none of our desires or ambitions should play into what God wants. We should just want what God wants. We have our best guess in most days. But the reality is God knows better all the time. And we have to desire what he wants. We have to desire to think like he thinks. We have, to, we have to desire to seek after what he wants us to seek after. So now we get a name of stuff. We're going to talk about for a minute the name of God. Because in order for us to understand how to really give God the glory... I think we should understand how intricate everything really is. See, I have this belief that nothing happens by accident. I have a belief that God has planned everything from the beginning. The scripture tells us that before the foundations of the world were even laid, Jesus already hung on that cross. You can call that a parallel universe if you want. I just call it God's plan. Everything was solved before everything was broken. Think about that. Everything was fixed before everything was torn apart. Think about that. Somebody going to check on Star? Just want to make sure they're okay. So let's talk real quick about the first five books of the Bible. This is famously known as the Torah or the Pentateuch. Pentateuch is, it means five. It's just a, a, a number thing. So we have the first five books of the Bible known as the Torah. And the Torah is actually spelled T-O-R-H. It's four letters. Okay, so here's what's going on in the Torah. We, we see that in the Hebrew word, the first letter T, if you count 49 letters from that first letter, on the 50th letter in Genesis is a T in the Hebrew language. 50 letters away is an O, and then another 50 letters is an R, and then another 50 letters is an H, which is the Torah in Hebrew. And that happens for every 50 letters through the entire book of Genesis. The entire book of Genesis, every 50 letters spells out the word Torah. It does the same thing in Exodus. Every 50 letters in the book of Exodus spells out the word Torah in the Hebrew language. T-O-R-H. 
it skips Leviticus. And then it picks up in Deuteronomy. And what's Genesis? It goes Numbers. <laughs> Numbers. I wanted to say Joshua, but I knew that wasn't right. I was like, it's not Joshua. It does the same thing in Deuteronomy and Numbers, except it's flipped. It starts in reverse in Deuteronomy. It starts with the H and then goes backwards every 50 letters. So it goes H-O-R-T, starting in Deuteronomy. And then in Numbers, it does the same thing. It goes backwards every 50 letters. It spells out Torah and reverse. So it's almost like Genesis and Exodus are going this way. And Deuteronomy and Numbers are going this way, and they're pointing to Leviticus. Well, Leviticus, every 50 letters, spells out Y-W-V-H, or Y-H-W-H, which is the Hebrew name for God. It's Yahweh. And every 50 letters in H, every 50 letters. Letters. The entire book does this in Leviticus. And it's almost like Genesis and Exodus are pointing to Leviticus. Numbers and Deuteronomy are pointing to Leviticus and they're pointing to the name of God. Do you think that's by accident? Do you think God just accidentally did that? Somehow Moses did that on purpose. Let me write this out in a way that every 50 letters is going to spell Torah over here this way. And then over here, we're going to spell Torah this way. And then here, we're going to put God's name this way. Really? You think he thought that out? You think he planned that out? No, God planned that out. Nothing happens by accident. Nothing happens without purpose. God planned the end from the beginning, and he did it at the very beginning from his first word. In the beginning, he already marked out, pointing towards his name. What is he trying to say? Give him the glory that is due to his name. Here's something else that's interesting. So you land on that first letter, 49 letters away, and then that next letter. So there's this space of 49 letters in between each one of these, these letters that spell out the word. And that number 49 is interesting because 49 squared is, or the seven squared is 49. We know that seven was so intricate to God. It was the perfect number to God, right? He created everything on the sixth day and rested on the seventh. We know that God talks about Sabbaths, resting every seven days. He even talked about resting the fields every seven years. They would not let anyone harvest or plant in that seventh year. Seven was such a big number to God. 49, in Leviticus, in the book where it talks about his name, in Leviticus 23, it instructs us to count 
49 days from Passover and then celebrate the Feast of Weeks on the next, on that 50th day. Well, guess what the Feast of Weeks commemorates on that 50th day? The Torah. They celebrate the Torah. They celebrate the law of God on the 50th day of the Feast of Weeks. From Passover, which by the way is the time that Jesus died during Passover, 50 days they celebrate the law. Who came and fulfilled that law? Christ. You ready for another thing? First Chronicles 29.10. It says this. This is Old Testament now. Therefore David blessed the Lord before all the assembly... And David said, are you ready? Blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty. For all that is in heaven and in earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. I don't know if you were here for Easter. But we talked about how when Jesus was on the cross... He said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he wasn't speaking. He was quoting scripture. He was quoting Psalms 22 when David sat there and said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now Jesus is over here praying. This is how you should pray. Yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. And he's quoting David. He's quoting First Chronicles when he says, yours, O Lord, is the power and the glory. Do you think this is by accident? Every time Jesus spoke, he spoke with intention. Every time Jesus spoke, he spoke with purpose. And he was quoting David, who, by the way, is his ancestor. It all connects for a purpose and for a reason. So what does all this mean? Nothing in this word has happened on accident. There is nothing in Scripture that happens by mistake. Everything about the word of God is supernatural. So when he said in his word that we are more than conquerors, you need to believe it. When he said in his word that we are the light of the world, you need to believe that. When he said in his word that we are the righteousness of Christ, you need to to believe it. When he says you're the head and not the tail, you need to believe that. When he says we're joint heirs with Jesus Christ and we receive what he's received, we need to believe it. And when he says we're the very sons and daughters of God, we need to believe it. When the word says all of this, we should have no doubts. We should have no doubts about the truth that it brings. All it should do is point to the fact that we should trust God with everything. Amen? Worship team, come join me. And then there's this. This is very interesting. There is... A video I was watching 
Alex sent it to me, and I was like, man, I've already seen this. I'm talking about a Sunday. It's going to be fun. Because we're talking about, I was studying about the name of God, Y-H-W-H, which in Hebrew is yod heh vad It's just a four-letter phrase that means Yahweh or the Lord is God. And it says, interestingly enough, about our DNA, what scientists have discovered is the way that our DNA is created. They have within every DNA cell or DNA strand something called sulfur bridges where everything connects. It's the bridge that creates, and it gets really detailed, and there's all sorts of words that I don't understand. But the basics of it is that there's these little bridges that connect to every part of our DNA. They can see all of this now. And every 10 spaces, there's a bridge. And then every five, there's a bridge. Then every six, there's a bridge. And then five again. And there's this pattern that they've seen in our DNA that they can actually see. Every 10 spaces, there's 10. And then there's five. And then there's six. And then there's five. And it just repeats itself. The DNA strand structure just repeats itself. 10, 5, 6, 5. Well, interestingly enough, if you look at the Hebrew words and the Hebrew letters, those are the same numbers that correspond with each Hebrew letter. Y corresponds with 10, H corresponds with five, W corresponds with six, and HW corresponds with five. Again, it's YHWH in the middle of our DNA strand. The name of God is on your DNA. Literally. Literally. What's also interesting is those two number fives. And those words by themselves mean behold. So it's basically saying behold, behold. Right? But then ten, the symbol, the 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 calligraphy, I forget the name, the hieroglyphic symbol for the number 10 is a hand. And then the symbol for six is a nail. And it's almost like the entire name of God is trying to spell out, behold the nails in my hands. From the beginning, he laid him on that cross. The foundations of the world weren't laid yet and Jesus was already paying that price and making that sacrifice. And he wove it into your very DNA. He wove it into the lifeblood that you carry. His name is written all over your body. His hands are being displayed in your life. His suffering is involved in your life and his victory is involved in your life. So when the Bible said, let us make man in our image, he meant right down to the structure of every cell in your body. It's not just your face. It's not just who you are in spirit. It's even down to your blood. What does that tell you? 
it should speak to how valuable you are. It should let you know how precious you are, how valuable you are to him. You should serve him like you're that valuable. You should love him like you're that valuable. More importantly, you should treat other people like they're that valuable. You should love other people like they're that valuable. And this is where we get messed up. We start believing our own glory. We start believing our own hype and all of a sudden we don't need, we don't need to treat people well. We don't need to care that much. But he wove his name into their DNA too. His glory is all in their life too. His purpose is woven deeply into them too. Even the person that you might hate the most. Let's stand. I believe this. I believe that God is not one to make mistakes. He is not one to do things on accident. He is not one to just say, oh, let's see how that goes. When he planned out you, he said, they're so important. I'm gonna put my stamp of my image internally and externally. It's going to be so connected to who they are. That's why he says that everything that has breath, praise the Lord. His name is written on everything. His name is written on my life. It's written on your life. It's written on my past. It's written on my future. And if you will grab hold of it, every desire that you have should be filtered through his name. Is it giving him glory? Is it giving him honor? Is it giving him praise? Is it giving him the power? So many times we want the power. Some of you are like, yeah, I can give him glory. I can give him the kingdom, but man, power. See, we like power. We like control. We like to have everything in our hands to do with what we want. And that's why Jesus was so clear. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory and yours is the power too. Because if you try to manipulate everything to fashion and fit and form into what you want, you will ultimately get something that's deformed and without purpose. Let him maintain the power and he will turn it into the purpose and blessing that it was designed to be. Father, we thank you this morning for your presence. I thank you this morning for faith in this room. I pray this morning that we begin to let faith arise in our hearts, let faith arise in every dark area of our lives. I know there's some struggles represented here this morning, 
There's some battles with depression. There's some battles with, with fear. This morning, we rebuke that. We pray right now, Lord, that you would get the glory this morning. Over everything that people may be struggling with, all anxieties. We give it to you this morning. Come on, if that's you this morning, just give it to him right now. Just say, Lord, I do not want this. I don't want to live with this anymore. All anxiety, all fear, all depression. We give it to you this morning. All doubt. Lord, there's no doubt that you're in control. There's no doubt that our names and our lives and our futures are in your hands. There's no doubt that you have placed yourself in our very being to give you glory. There's no doubt anymore. Lord, we give you the praise and the glory this morning. I pray for every heart, every mind to be awakened to the reality of your truth. take a minute I want you right now I want you to let the Lord examine you for a minute I want you to just ask him just talk to him for a moment just say Lord examine my heart what is it that I need to surrender what is it that I'm trying to maintain control over what is it that I'm trying to keep and I'm trying to possess or I'm trying to get glory over or I'm trying to get power over. Just talk to him for a minute and let him answer you. Maybe it's a struggle from the past. Maybe it's pain that never healed. What is it? Let him reveal it to you. Now I want you to just lift your hands real high with me. And I want you just to begin to give him glory and praise. I want you to lift your voice and just begin to give him glory and praise for taking on everything you're trying to release. That you would release it right now. Come on, give him glory and praise. Lift your voice and just begin to thank him for doing it. Thank you for joining us this week. Our vision is to plant churches that are life-changing. If you would like to support our ministry, you can easily do so by visiting our website, PursuitCC.com. Also, follow us on all social media outlets by using at PursuitCC. Thank you and God bless.